Please be seated and good morning. Lord, will those who are saved be few? As so often happened in the Gospels, Jesus was walking along with his disciples, teaching them, when someone asked him a provocative question. And as also so often happened, Jesus didn't answer the question directly, but he used the question as an opportunity to teach something that was more to the point and far more important for the one asking the question. A man asks Jesus whether those who are saved will be few. And the Lord answers by telling him the way by which he himself must be saved. To say it another way, the man was asking, how many? And Jesus answered not with how many, but with how. Everything that Jesus taught during his earthly ministry revolved around the concept and the reality of the kingdom. That is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the man's question and Jesus' reply related to entrance into that kingdom. In that sense, salvation, being saved, consists in its simplest terms in going to heaven at the end of our earthly life. So heaven is the goal, but Jesus emphasizes here, what his emphasis here is on the door, on the way in. Verse 24, strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, let's identify right off the bat what the door is, or more accurately, who the door is, because the door, of course, is Jesus himself. He said so. Listen to his words in John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Could that be any clearer or more straightforward? In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus' admonition here in our gospel passage this morning in Luke chapter 13 is to enter by the narrow door, the narrow door. And you know, in our limited way of thinking, we don't like narrowness, do we? The very connotations of phrases like narrow-minded are very negative, especially in our hypersensitive culture. We like broad-mindedness because narrow-mindedness seems petty, restrictive, and, well, narrow. But let's examine that thought for just a moment. When I'm on an airplane, let me tell you, I want a narrow-minded pilot in that cockpit. I don't want one who makes up his own mind about how to fly and land the plane or where to fly to. I want the guy to narrowly follow what he learned in flight school and what Boeing and Southwest Airlines and the onboard flight procedures manual tell him are the best ways to pilot that 737 and also to keep to the schedule that tells him where he's supposed to land. In another sense, if you really think about it, any pursuit in life that has a lofty goal usually has a narrow passage in, and not all make the goal. Think of the rigors of medical school, for example. We've got a number of doctors here 
today, this morning. Think of the rigors of medical school and how narrow-minded it is that those who don't make the grade don't become doctors. And thank God for that. So Jesus is the narrow door, the only door, by which we can gain access to eternal life. Why is that door narrow? Why does Jesus talk about it as a narrow door? Think about it. Think about it. There are currently almost 8 billion people living on planet Earth. In the history of the world, up until now, who knows how many multiplied billions of human beings there have been. Yet of all of those billions and billions of people, one and only one ever has been and ever will be the way to eternal life. Is that narrow? Yeah, that's narrow. Now there is a wide door. Again, Jesus told us so in a parallel passage in Matthew 7:13, where he says this, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. This wide way, of course, is the way of the world and the way of false religion. Those are ways that lead to the abyss, to destruction. C.S. Lewis wrote in his classic work entitled The Screwtape Letters the following, quote, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, end quote. Allowing ourselves to be absorbed by the popular culture is the easiest thing in the world to do. As the saying goes, just going along to get along. One of the primary causes of the turmoil in the church today is that in too many ways and in too many places, the church looks astonishingly like the culture she is called upon to confront and redeem. And the extent to which the church thus capitulates to the spirit of the age is the extent to which her moral authority is rendered null and void in the eyes and minds of the popular culture. Instead of achieving what is the ultimate goal of capitulating to things like wokeness, namely the goal of acceptance and affirmation by the culture, that capitulation achieves exactly the opposite effect, namely marginalization and disdain. You want an example of what I'm talking about? Ask yourself this, has the capitulation of so many of our bishops to political correctness or to fear or to weakness or to whatever on the subject of giving Holy Communion to Catholic politicians who publicly and aggressively champion the cause of abortion, has that capitulation strengthened or weakened the church's authority to teach on abortion? I think you know the answer. Has the concerted effort over the past several decades by many in the hierarchy to cover up sexual abuse by clergy strengthened or weakened the church's teaching on sexual morality? Again, 
you know the answer. We are not called on by the Lord to follow the path of least resistance, or as St. Paul would put it, being conformed to this world. If your personal lifestyle closely resembles the lifestyle of most of your unbelieving friends, it might be time to take a hard, honest look at your lifestyle. Let me quote C.S. Lewis again from the same book, The Screwtape Letters. I've quoted this one to you before, but it bears repeating here. In The Screwtape Letters, at one point, C.S. Lewis has the devil say this, quote, all is summed up in the prayer which a young female human is said to have uttered recently. Oh God, make me a normal 20th century girl. The devil goes on to say, thanks to our labors, this will mean increasingly, make me a minx, a moron, and a parasite. End quote. Now we might chuckle at that, but let me point out that that was written in 1942, 80 years ago. Think about that. 80 years ago, before television, before the internet, before out-of-control social media, before the sexual revolution, before the drug culture, before legalized abortion, before same-sex marriage, before pornography was a multi-billion dollar industry, before gender ideology, before rampant materialism, before many of the societal ills that characterize our popular culture 80 years later today in the 21st century, and that today constitute the wide gate, the wide way that many, if not most, enter today. Teenagers, children, do not strive to be a normal 21st century boy or girl. You are better than that, and your eternal salvation depends on it. Thus Jesus says, strive to enter by the narrow door, the door that is characterized by living in a faith-filled relationship with him and under his lordship. Notice the words he uses to those who don't enter by that door and thus ultimately are on the outside looking in. Twice he says, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me. Again, in Matthew's parallel passage, he says, I do not know you. I do not know you. How utterly tragic. At the end of a person's life, as he or she steps through the veil into eternity and stands alone before the judge of the universe, the ultimate personal tragedy for that person is to hear God speak the terrifying words, I do not know you. Depart from me. That's why, as I say so often, the single most important job we have in this life is to find our way to heaven. And the way to heaven is through one narrow door. 
Jesus. The call to discipleship, the call that is on every single person here today, no exceptions, everyone who's here today, that call is the call to enter into personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Now listen carefully to me for a moment. It's not enough to say, I'm a Catholic. I go to church regularly. This may come as a shock to some, but it's possible to be a Catholic who goes to church every Sunday and be a stranger to God. Our motivation in coming to church and receiving the sacraments needs to be something deeper than mere religious obligation or family pressure. Our worship of God at Mass should both emanate from and serve to enhance our relationship, our discipleship with Christ. The Holy Eucharist, this precious sacrament, which the Catechism calls the source and summit of the Christian life, is meant to foster and sustain and nourish our relationship with Jesus. That's part of what St. Paul meant when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, speaking of the Eucharist, for anyone who eats and drinks unworthily, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. St. Augustine actually relates that concept specifically to the words of Jesus, in, or to the words in today's gospel of those who say to the Lord, we ate and drank in your presence. Augustine wrote of that assertion, quote, Christ is the food that is eaten and drunk. Even Christ's enemies eat and drink him. The faithful know the lamb without spot on which they feed, if only they feed on it in such a way that they are not liable to judgment, end quote. There's a lot wrapped up in that observation that we don't have time to go into today, such as not receiving the Eucharist without first confessing mortal sin, not receiving casually or profanely, and so on. But my point here is, my point here is this. If you come to church and receive communion every Sunday, that's a good thing. But if you then go home and live exactly like your unbelieving neighbors, or if you come to church and communion every Sunday and give no thought to God whatsoever, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, something needs to change. Strive to enter by the narrow door. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of our Lord and Master. My purpose in speaking to you like this this morning is not to fill you with guilt or with fear, but to prompt you to act. And by act, I mean to do what you need to plant your feet firmly on that narrow path by entering into an intimate relationship with Jesus so you never, ever hear the tragic words, I do not know you, depart from me. Jesus became a man, came to earth, 
He suffered, he died a horrible death and rose again in order to make it possible for you and me to have that kind of relationship with him. He told his disciples, I call you my friends, my friends. Friendship with Jesus is possible. Friendship with Jesus is essential. Brothers and sisters, please hear me. There is a bright line between friendship with Jesus and conformity with the world. There's nothing vague about it. A very bright line, and that line is growing brighter and sharper by the day. We live in a culture and in a world that is at odds with the gospel, at odds with the church, and at odds with ultimate truth. My goodness, is there not ample evidence of that all around us? Certainly not the only example, but one of the most recent was the article in Atlantic Magazine this past week. If you haven't read it or haven't heard about it, that article equated faithful Catholics' references to the rosary as spiritual warfare. They equated that with gun violence and referred to faithful Catholics as dangerous extremists and radicals. That's you and me they're talking about. One more example of how the neo-Marxists are coming after the church to silence us, to marginalize us, and have turned up the heat and turned up the aggression even more so since the Supreme Court's ruling on Roe v. Wade. I'm not sure whether the Atlantic's assertion was based on blind bigotry or willful stupidity, or both. And by the way, the term that the Catechism uses for willful stupidity is incorrigible ignorance. It's all around us. So authentic Christian discipleship is absolutely countercultural. It flies in the face of everything, everything that our fallen, dark, perverse world values. Because what the world values constitutes that wide way that leads to destruction, while the narrow way leads to eternal life. And so in conclusion, my encouragement to you this morning is this. As the world gets darker, more dangerous, and more hostile to the church, and it will, it will, make no mistake about it, as that happens, my encouragement to you this morning is stay close to Jesus. Or if necessary, get close to Jesus. Tell him you want to be his disciple. Tell him you want to be his friend. Tell him you want to enter by the narrow door and repent of your traveling on the wide way, if need be. And then let him, by his Holy Spirit, transform your life forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.